You know, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, uh, and, and I love that song that we just ended on with worship of how great is our God. Uh, we are looking at some of the greatest things that God has done, uh, and so we're going to be looking at that in Acts 10. Now, this morning as you drove into church, you came down 10th Street, you probably noticed that whole row of houses under construction. Actually, there's two of them. We're about to have a couple dozen new neighbors and new houses, and we're looking forward to, to getting to know all of them, and, and let's make sure we're good neighbors to them. Uh, but during the week, uh, you know, sometimes I'll actually open the door to my office uh, if I'm just at a point where I need some fresh air, and I open the door and I hear the sound of hammers and nail guns and cement trucks and excavators and, and power saws. And uh, it's, it's the sound of building. I just like that sound. But you know what? When we listen uh, to the words in the book of Acts, I think what we hear is the sound of building. It's the sound of God building his church. It's not hammers and nails, but it's people and the Holy Spirit, the church. One church and one mission. You know, our Savior is Jesus Christ, and the mission that he's given to his church, to us, is to proclaim the gospel, to be his witnesses throughout the world. And so, if you think about it, God is still building his church. In fact, when I speak with all of you uh, during the week and, and on Sundays, when I hear what God's doing in your life and the things that you are doing to serve him, I hear the sound of building. God is building his church in you and through you. And I am grateful that we all get to be a part of that. We all have a part to play in the construction of God's church and of God's family. And we are all characters in the story. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been spending time looking at key characters and key events in the book of Acts, because that's what God uses to advance uh, the story. And so uh, in the book of Acts, some of the key events we've looked at so far, we had the, the Great Commission and the Ascension of Jesus in chapter 1, where Jesus ascends into heaven and gives this mission to his disciples. We also had uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, right? Nothing is the same in the world after the Holy Spirit comes on all believers. And so we have that amazing event. Another event that we saw uh, uh, in chapters 3 and 4 was healings. Uh, how God used the power of the Holy Spirit to heal people from physical ailments. But then we also looked at some key characters, some some people in the book of Acts. And this is the interesting thing to me because as we look at these people... I think we have to realize that God uses those people just like he wants to use us as his people. We are characters in the same story that was begun all those years ago. We saw Jesus in chapter 1. We saw Peter in chapter 2 at, at Pentecost. Stephen in chapter 6 and 7, the first martyr. Uh, in chapter 8, we looked at Philip who shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch and with the Samaritans. Um, last week, we looked at Saul. Chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. What a miracle. And today we're going to be in chapter 10 looking at another key character, actually two of them. It's Peter again, along with a man named Cornelius. And so today we want to get to know him and see how God uses him as part of this unfolding story. God asks us to build his church to the glory of God alone. Trinity Church is here to proclaim the glory of God by faithfully proclaiming the gospel. So as I said this morning, we want to look at this next key character, uh, and his name is Cornelius. Here's just a summary of our text this morning. I want to show you a brief snapshot, because there are really kind of five sections in our text. And so 
The first, we're going to see uh, two visions that occur. So two visions. Then we're going to see that there's a visit that happens when Peter goes to visit Cornelius' house. The third thing is right in the middle of this section is you see a message. Peter's going to proclaim a message. And it's it's no accident that that's right in the heart of this story. It's right in the middle. Uh, and then we see the response to that message. And then lastly, we'll see kind of the explanation of what happened. What in the world just happened? And so uh, that's where we're going this morning. And I think as we see those five sections, we're going to see that we have, I believe, five things that challenge us uh, directly out of this text this morning. So before we open that, would you mind uh, just bowing with me in prayer one more time? God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes. And Lord, uh, just help us to receive your word with gladness and to, uh, to learn what you want us to learn this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning, uh, as we look at this, the first thing we want to see is is something to see. I remember I mentioned these two visions, but before we get there, realize uh, last week we were in chapter 9, and we saw the conversion of Saul. Saul, this terrible person who was persecuting Christians. So that's an amazing event in the book of Acts. Well, then we shift back to Peter. So you start kind of going back and forth between Peter and Paul in these in these chapters. So what happens in uh, in chapter nine? If you look at verse thirty-two, we see Peter actually completing three miracles. God gives him uh, three opportunities, and there are three miracles that happen. Nine, verse thirty-two, it says he heals this man named Aeneas. Okay, so he heals him uh, who was bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. What an amazing miracle! That's an amazing miracle. But then skip ahead, the second miracle that Peter performs in verse 36, it says there was a disciple in Joppa named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. Okay, so this amazing woman who everyone loved died. And guess what? It says that in verse 40, Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. All right, so it's amazing that God uses Peter to heal that man first. It's a lot more amazing that he uses him to raise a dead person from the dead. I mean, only God can have resurrection power. But guess what? Of those two miracles, actually there's three miracles, the greatest miracle is the one we want to talk about today. And that's what we see in chapter 10. In fact, you notice chapter 10 and 11 is about eight times as long as those two miracles combined. This is the most important, the greatest miracle that God does in this little section of the book of Acts. And what is that miracle? It's the transformation, the salvation of this man named Cornelius. Because as amazing as it is for lame people to be able to walk and for dead people to be able to come alive again, even more amazing is God's ability to cleanse people from sin and make them into a new person giving them eternal life forever. That's the greatest miracle. That's what we want to look at today. And it's an amazing story uh, that God gives us uh, in these verses. So the first thing we have is something to see. Something to see. Now, I said there are two visions, two visions that happen here. Uh, we see Cornelius has a vision in the first eight verses. And then Peter has a vision in the next eight verses. And if you think about what is a vision... Well, a vision, if you think about it, uh, this is the year 2020, right? And I remember we started the year talking about 2020 vision has something to do with what you see. So when it says here that Cornelius had a vision, it's something that he was able to see. So when we look at these two visions today, 
What I want us to realize is that we look at God's word is that he wants us to see something as well. That's why he recorded this story for us. He wants us to see the same thing that Peter and Cornelius were able to see through these visions. But it does raise a question. Again, before we read that vision, does God still speak to us in visions today? People ask that. Is God going to come and and he wants to tell me something to do? Should I expect him to give me a vision? Come to me in a dream uh, and speak directly to me uh, like he did to to Peter and Cornelius? And that's a good question. But I think we have to realize this. uh, God can reveal himself in any way he chooses. Any way he chooses. Uh, And what we see in Acts, we see several of these visions. And so that's led some people throughout church history to say, that you need to wait for God to speak to you through a vision. If God's not speaking to you through a vision, then you are not really hearing from God. And what I would say to you is this. Even in the book of Acts, God does not lead every person through a vision. Okay, Through a variety of means, God leads his people. And he reveals himself through his people. We can't limit God and how he wants to reveal himself. But what happens in Acts is extraordinary. The birth of the church. And God does some really amazing things here at the beginning of the church uh, so that he can get his gospel out there and advance it to as many people as possible. And this is one of those things, a special vision that he gives to Peter and to Cornelius that really changes the scope of church history. It's a special vision. So to answer that question, God can reveal himself to you any way he chooses. Uh, in fact, you know, Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 back in Acts 2. He says, in the last days, uh, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. It's up to God how he wants to reveal himself to us. But what we do know is throughout the course of God's, of history of God's people, the primary way he reveals himself to us is through his word. It's through his word. That's one guaranteed way that I can tell you that God wants to reveal himself to you is through his written revelation. And so uh, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It reveals the way we are to follow him and the way we are to grow in him. And that's why we spend the bulk of our time on Sunday morning uh, in a message proclaiming the word. God reveals himself through his word. So put your focus on that this morning as we look at something to see through these visions. All right. So with all that being said, let's read uh, what God shows uh, Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It says this, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. Now, I love this chapter because there's really two points of view in this chapter. You have Cornelius's point of view, and you also have Peter's point of view. So if we think about uh, who this man Cornelius is, and, and Peter thinking about who this man Cornelius is, really a man who's a Roman centurion has three strikes against him already. I don't know how many of you are watching the World Series right now, but you get three strikes and you're out. Okay, that's the way baseball works. And if you think about a Roman centurion in a Jewish nation, they have three strikes against them. Number one, they are invaders. Okay, the nation of Israel does not like the fact that there are Romans living here telling them what to do. Uh, Here's a picture of of what a Roman centurion might have looked like. Just uh, a, a soldier who's here occupying your nation. Uh, you know, we're about to have an election here in our country. We're blessed to be able to have the freedom to vote, to elect our leaders. 
not so much in the ancient world, okay, and actually not so much in other parts of the world today. Uh, totalitarian rulers would come in, they would conquer, and then they would leave their soldiers there to occupy the space. And that's exactly what Cornelius was. He was a centurion, it says, from the Italian cohort, uh, which means uh, uh, he's from Italy. His whole regiment is from the area of Italy. They've been brought in to occupy the land of Israel. And so they're invaders, strike one. Strike two, he's a Gentile. Remember, the Jewish people don't get along with Gentiles. Gentiles are unclean. In fact, that's what this whole chapter is about. Uh, they're unclean, and we don't want anything to do with them. They eat the wrong kind of food, uh, so we don't want anything to do with them. And then third, strike three, is not only are they Gentiles and unclean, but that also means that they worship idols. Okay, So they're pagans. Any Roman has three strikes against them. No Jew would want to associate with a Roman. But we find out, as you just heard me read in verse 2, this is an unusual Roman. He's actually discovered the God of Israel, and he's worshiping the God of Israel. His heart is open to the God who can save him. So verse 2, it says, uh, he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. Isn't it amazing, again, in the book of Acts, Whenever something big happens, it's almost, there's almost always that phrase where it says he was praying or she was praying. Somebody was praying. And God answers his prayers. Look at what happens. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send some of your men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right. So basically God appears uh, to, to Cornelius and says, hey, Send some of your people and go get this guy named Peter and bring him back. I have a message for you. I have a message I want you to hear. So what happens? Cornelius sees this vision and he obeys. He sends those people to get Peter. So that's the first vision. The first vision. And again, think about how extraordinary this is. The God of Israel, the God who can save, is appearing to this pagan Roman centurion, this occupier. God is going out of his way to reach out to this person to save him. So that's the first vision. The second vision is Peter's vision. Peter's vision. And that's in verses 9 through 16. Let me read this to you. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Here we have prayer again. When people pray, God does amazing work. Verse 10, and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing the food, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So that's the second vision. 
And if you're wondering what in the world did that mean, <laughs> Peter was wondering the same thing. Verse 17, it says, he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. So he didn't know what this was about. But what's the big deal here? Why is Peter having a vision like this? I have a picture up on the screen. It's not a great picture. It's just one artist's rendering of what it might have looked like uh, for this vision that Peter had. Basically, a sheet lowered down out of heaven. It says all kinds of animals. Okay, big deal. But remember, the Jews had purity laws. And they were not allowed to eat all kinds of animals. They were only allowed to eat certain ones. The ones that God had called clean. And so there's clean and unclean all mixed up on this sheet. And that's what Peter sees coming down. I want to read to you a couple of verses from Leviticus. Just to remind you, if you've never seen this before, this is what God told his people in the Old Testament about the kinds of food that they could eat. So this is from Leviticus chapter 11. I think you can also find this in, I think it's Deuteronomy 14. Um, but here's just a couple of verses where God gives these instructions to his people and says, you cannot eat any food you want. You can only eat the clean animals. So it says this. Speak to the people of Israel saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals, those you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud that does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And here's the big one, uh, verse 7. And the pig, because it does, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. So there's a whole list of things like that in the Old Testament. Where God tells his people, you're not allowed to do these things. And, and there's been a lot of study about that. Why did God say you can't eat these animals? Uh, the, the main purpose is this. God says, if you are my people in the Old Testament, you are called to be different and set apart from any other person. From any other type of or group of people. And to follow me, to express your uh, devotion to me, I'm asking you to follow all these rules. So now when he tells Peter... Look at all these animals. You can kill and eat any of them. I'm calling them clean. That kind of rocked Peter's boat a little bit. Because that's not allowed for Jewish people. God says there's something new going on here. It's no longer necessary for you to avoid those kinds of food. Why? Because something has changed. The law of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And obedience and observation of it is no longer necessary. And furthermore, people like Gentiles who don't practice the law do not have to practice the law in order to have a relationship with God. So Peter sees this vision. There was something for him to see. I think what God wanted Peter to see, what he wants you to see, me to see, is that the gospel is for everyone, for anyone. It's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for one race over another race. The gospel is for every human being who will trust in Jesus Christ. And that vision that God gave Peter is a picture of that. There's clean animals and there's unclean animals. And God says, I've declared them all clean now. You can associate with those animals. You can associate with Gentiles. This message of Jesus is not just for one group of people. 
It's for all people. Remember at the birth of Jesus, we talked about this. The the angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. All the people. And that's what's happening here is God saying, these people, these Gentiles can now worship me. So the gospel is for everyone. What does God want you to see? When he shows this vision to Peter and or shows it to, to Peter and then Peter goes to see Cornelius, what does God want them to see? Well, he wanted Peter to see that the gospel is for everyone. Cornelius saw the same thing as well because the God of Israel reached out to a Roman centurion, somebody on the outside. What does God want you to see? What does he want me to see? You think about this vision. Remember that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. No one. And that includes you. No matter what you might have done, what you are doing, you are not beyond the reach of God's saving power to cleanse you from sin. But it goes beyond you. Think about the people around you. You know, sometimes we have a problem with this, right? We think about who's somebody that we would consider unclean. We don't think about Jews and Gentiles these days, uh, unless you're Jewish, but probably like a criminal, right? A criminal in jail who's committed a heinous crime. They don't deserve to be saved. And yet passages like this show us that the gospel is open and available to anyone, no matter what their past Criminals, maybe you have a family member who's hurt you in the past, or a friend, or a spouse. God says the gospel is there for everyone. So that's the first part of what we're seeing here. But then we get to the second part of the story, and we see that God gives Peter and Cornelius something to do. Something to do. First, they have something to see, but then the story goes forward with something to do. Now, this is a pretty lengthy section here, but this is how Peter responds to what God has told him. Notice God's timing as I read through these verses. God's timing. Yes, God has a plan, but you can't argue with the fact that God also has timing for his plan. Look at this uh, in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, that's repeated again, while he was pondering the vision, uh, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. So notice this, what does God call Peter to do? God says, first of all, receive those guests. And what does Peter do? It says he invited them in to be his guests, even though they're Gentiles. Now, you may not know this, but it's actually not lawful for Jewish people in this time to invite Gentiles into their house unless they didn't, unless they were okay with being made unclean. Now, if you were made unclean, this is a big deal because you can't go to the temple to worship. You're kind of ostracized from your people. And so for Peter to invite these people in to show them hospitality, means that he's already, it's already starting to sink in what God is telling him. 
He is welcoming in outsiders so they can experience the love of Jesus. So he shows hospitality to them. That's the first thing he does. And then in verse 23, at the end, it says, The next day he rose and he went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So what does he do? He receives them and then he goes. He goes where God leads him to go. Something to do. He goes on this journey. Verse 25, verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together with his relatives and his close friends. Now, it's interesting to see this. Cornelius is this outsider from Italy, and yet his family's living there with him. He's a military family, if you want to call it that. He's brought his whole family to live with him while he's stationed here in Israel. And he says, I don't just want to have a private meeting with Peter. I'm going to call in everyone I know. To have this meeting because God has told me that I'm about to receive an incredible message. So when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And he talked with him. And he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. That I should not call any person common or unclean. Isn't that an amazing phrase? Because the beginning of that vision that Peter saw, it was animals, wasn't it? And yet now the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that's not about animals that we're talking. Although it's tied into that. It's about people. Don't call any person unclean that I have called clean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And then listen to Cornelius' response in verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What an opportunity, right? How amazing would it be to walk into a house and it'd be full of people and they'd say, tell us about Jesus. That doesn't always happen, does it? But when it does, <laughs> you better be ready like Peter was ready. And so they invite him to come in. You know, uh, before we go on to what he says, this idea of thinking about something to do. What is it that God calls you to do? God called Peter to show gospel hospitality. He welcomed these people in. And then he went to them to proclaim the gospel. So he welcomes them in and then he goes. And so maybe one question we could even ask is this. Where does God want you to go? In your journey of life, where is it that he's asking you to go? Some of you, he might say, I want you to stay right here in Covington, Mandeville, Slidell, wherever you live. And this is the place where I want you to be for your whole life. And share the gospel with your neighbors, your family, your friends, everyone you come in contact with here. Others of you... He may open doors and show you uh, through different ways that he wants you to go to another country or another state or another continent. God may take you on a journey to do something for him, to proclaim his gospel. 
Only you can answer. Only he can answer. What does he want you to do? Where does he want you to go? But my encouragement to you is this. Like Peter, keep your eyes open as you travel through life. See those opportunities that are ahead of you. See those opportunities that God puts in front of you and take them, beginning by welcoming people. I just love the fact that that's the first thing Peter does after this vision is he welcomes those people in. And I think that gospel hospitality is one of the greatest things we can do to share the good news with people is welcome them into your lives, welcome them into your homes, get to know them, and then share Jesus with them. So something to see, something to do. Peter went where God sent him to go, and then he had something to say. And remember, like I said, this is right in the center of our text today, this message that Peter proclaims. Powerful message. This is what God tells him to say. Look at verse 34. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, now this is not, hold on, push pause. This is not the first time we've seen that phrase in Acts, right? Peter opened his mouth. I think we saw a place where Stephen opened his mouth. We saw Philip opening his mouth. There's no accident here that to tell people about Jesus, you have to open your mouth. There's something that God wants you to say to people. And that's the good news that's been given to you. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what has happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So basically, Peter says, you all know what Jesus did. Again, in those days, word traveled by word of mouth, right? They didn't have smartphones to pull up the news, but everyone had heard about this person named Jesus. And all the amazing things he had been doing. I'm sure the Romans were aware of it because they're like, what's what's going on here? Is there an uprising about to start? There's something funny going on. And what does it say? Verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this is what Peter says. The message that he proclaims is the gospel. It's the good news. Basically, what he says to these people is, Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is your only hope. He's the one who can save you. And that's the message we all need to hear this morning. Even if you've heard it before, Jesus is your only hope. He is the only one who can save you. This echoes what was said earlier in the book of Acts. This phrase right here that we just said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. You can put your name in there. 
Marcus, David, Ryan, Pete, Luis, if you've believed in him, you have forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 4.12, there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is your only hope. And you can have him as a free gift. That's the message that Peter proclaims when he has this something to say. Something to say. Peter spoke the good news. That's what Peter had to say. The question is, what does God want you to say? And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if he has saved you through faith, he asks you to say what Peter said. Speak the good news. Proclaim that truth that Jesus is your only hope. He is the only one who can save you from the sin that sentences you to death. Proclaim Jesus. What does God want you to say? He wants you to proclaim Jesus. But I would actually add a second question to that. To whom does God want you to say it? To whom does God want you to speak? Spend some time thinking and praying about that. Who in your life has God given you the opportunity to speak this gospel to? Somebody who doesn't know him yet. Romans chapter 10. Again, this goes right along with what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts makes it clear that God's people are his chosen instrument to proclaim this good news. You know, God could have sent an angel and a vision to every person in the world, couldn't he have? Just send an angel and tell them about Jesus. That's not what he does, though. He says, you will be my witnesses. Romans 10. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. God says there's a whole world of people out there waiting for you to say something. To proclaim to them the hope that you have in Jesus. Proclaim him. Romans 10 verse 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God says, I want you to say something. Say something to people. Let them hear about this word of Christ, this word of good news that you may have experienced. Share it with others. What does God want you to say? He wants you to proclaim Jesus. Then that brings us to the fourth part of our passage. And it shows us that we have something to receive. Something to receive. And one author I was reading this week actually said, you know, Peter's just getting started on his sermon here. And God interrupts him. God interrupts him because the people believe and the Holy Spirit falls on the place. Look at verses 44 uh, through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing this people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain there for some days. So they had something to receive. 
Back to Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. It says this. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes it is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so God says there's something here for you to receive. And so this morning, I think we do have to ask this question. What does God want you to receive? What does God want you to receive? This story about Cornelius reveals that God wants you to receive salvation. He wants you to be saved from the sin that would destroy you. Be saved from that and enter into a relationship with God. That's what he wants you to receive. It's a free gift. So we had a birthday at my house this week. Um, and with one of my kids who had this birthday, what if I had walked up, given them a huge gift, and they'd opened it and were all excited, and then I gave them a bill and said, that'll be $350. Now, I don't buy that expensive presents for my kids, okay? But they'd look at me and say, it's my birthday. It's a gift. Like, I'm not supposed to have to pay for this. And that's exactly what, what God tells us through this story and then through all of the gospel is that what he gives us in Jesus is a gift. And he says, I want you to receive that gift. That's what faith is, is accepting the gift that God gives you. There's nothing you can do to purchase it. There's nothing you can do to buy that gift. That wouldn't be a gift. It wouldn't be grace. And God says, I give it to you for free. So first of all, he wants you to receive salvation. Once you receive salvation, forgiveness for your sins... Then God says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit poured out on these people the moment that they believe. Don't miss how significant that is. There was a line in the song we sang earlier. It says, uh, let us remember the beauty of your presence and remember it. Because how often do we forget that we actually have the Spirit of God living inside us? Through the miracle of forgiveness that we receive from Jesus, we have God living inside us. That is a great miracle, people. That is a great miracle. So he wants us to receive salvation, Holy Spirit, and then a new life. A new life that's symbolized by baptism. He says they wanted to be baptized. Baptism, which we're going to celebrate in about a month, uh, is a symbol, a symbol of this new life. You're placed beneath the water as if you're being buried in your sins. And then you're raised new into a new life. Uh, cleansed as if with the water. Uh, it's a picture of cleansing, just like Jesus cleanses us through his blood. Baptism is a beautiful picture of the new life that God wants you to receive through this salvation. So the question this morning is, have you received this gift? Have you received Jesus Christ? Have you received the gift that he wants to give you? If you have, then rejoice. And if you haven't, there's no better day than today to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But that gift brings us to the last section here, and that is that these people find out that they now have something to celebrate, something to celebrate. Because that gift, that thing that they receive, now leads the church to have something to celebrate. You know, uh, humans love to celebrate, don't they? Uh, whether it be birthdays like we had this week or uh, maybe you had a football win, your team won and you want to celebrate. Uh, a wedding is a celebration, right, of a new family being formed, anniversaries, retirements, all these things. 
But don't miss this. This last point here is that this great miracle that God provides for Cornelius, that he provides for you, that he provides for me, this is something that is worth celebrating. And that's where our text ends today. You know, if, okay, look at chapter 11. We're not actually going to read all these verses, but just look at the first three verses. Now the apostles and the brothers who were, who were throughout Judea heard of the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised people and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And then he tells the whole story about the visions and about everything that happened. But isn't it interesting, uh, this is a human tendency, which unfortunately I think many people in the church are prone to fall into. The very first thing they do when they hear good news is criticize, <laughs> and they start complaining. Now before you point your fingers at them, right, I think we all have a little bit of that in ourselves. And so, uh, but just notice that, that they start out by criticizing. Well, Peter, this is an amazing thing. He explains it all to them, and what do they do? Go to the end of the chapter. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love that. It says they fell silent. Remember in one place we had Peter opening his mouth to share the gospel and we see God leading them to close their mouths and stop their complaining. And instead they open them back up again and start praising. If you think about it, there's really three positive uses of the mouth that we see in this passage. First of all, uh, we saw that uh, we saw that 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 the people began by praise or by proclaiming. Peter begins by proclaiming the good news. We also saw prayer, and now this third thing that we see is praising, celebrating. God leads his people to celebrate and praise him. They started out criticizing, but they end up praising. I've showed you this graphic a few times. Remember, the book of Acts shows us over and over again how the gospel multiplies to people. Guess what? The beautiful thing of today's story, the thing that we can celebrate and praise God for, is look at this. It's multicolored. The church is not one ethnicity. It's not one race. It's not one type of people. God has saved all people who will trust in him. It doesn't matter what race they are, what economic background they are. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, LSU fans, Auburn fans, Alabama. It doesn't matter. God says Christ is all and in all. And that is something to celebrate. So that's my last question for you this morning, is how will you celebrate? How will you celebrate? Remember, the people in this story use their mouth to pray, they use their mouth to proclaim, and then they use their mouth to praise, to celebrate what God has done. That's why we gather for worship. How do we worship? We worship in song. It's so important for us, whether you're gathered right here in this room or online with us, to gather together and worship as a church, to celebrate what God has done. In song, we celebrate it in communion. That's another reason it's so important for us to gather, is to celebrate in communion, to celebrate in baptism. Baptism is a huge celebration, a picture of what God has done in the lives of believers. So we celebrate through worship, and then we celebrate by overflowing to others with what you have, sharing what you have. How will you celebrate? 
Think about that in the days ahead. Bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have given us something to celebrate through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name, Lord, that we pray this morning. And now to him who is able to do far more, exceeding abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.